Welcome to the Untitled Art Podcast. I'm your host and your guide to all things related to sound in contemporary art, Amanda Schmidt. You're listening to the very first episode of our podcast, which looks into the archives of Untitled Radio, a program we founded as a live radio broadcast, streaming from the fair starting in Miami Beach in 2015. With Untitled Radio, we sought to innovate the customary Art Fair Talks program by providing a different dynamic and depth for interviews and panel discussions, adding performances, audio-based artwork, music, and playlists by artists, curators, and art world professionals. Over the years, we've compiled over 200 hours of programming from our radio broadcast, all of which is currently archived on our website, untitledartfairs.com. In this podcast series, I'll dig into the archives of our radio programs and compile some of the most memorable projects that we've aired at the fair since 2015. The first five episodes we released this fall will all include archived content that was included in the live broadcasts at our fair. From time to time, I'll bring in some special guests to help contextualize the program. During the fair, we'll be podcasting live from the event. Be sure to tune in live during the fairs and subscribe to our podcast with iTunes. We'll return with new episodes in 2019, generating new conversations, music, sound, and all things that can be heard simply by tuning in. Episode one is centered around the idea of collaboration. Leading up to the seventh edition of the fair on the beach in Miami this coming December, we couldn't help but reflect on seven years of artistic and creative collaboration. Untitled is built on the notion that as artworks exhibited find their markets, notions of exchange and communities, which are a vital part of their meaning, must accompany them in the form of context and programming. Untitled undertakes the labor of generating that vital content and also of archiving it and making it available for free and forever. Today, we'll dig into the archives of Untitled Radio to highlight some of our favorite collaborations since 2015. We'll introduce these collaborations in six chapters. So thanks for joining us, and without further ado, Chapter 1, Letter to the People, a collaborative playlist by Cheryl Pope and a group of teenagers from Chicago, which was first aired in Miami Beach in 2016. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone. The good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful. Cause you know I gotta shine now 
niggas tweaking, so I'm riding with this pipe now. This loud reeking got me higher than a kite now. We got max now. I've been trying to cop a Benzo, you know how to go. Two bitches in the car, both gon' fucking swallow. I'm just trying to make you far, so watch out as I blow. Can't nobody tell me nothing, cause I'm from Chicago. Niggas, they been hating, so I gotta separate. How you trying to eat and you ain't even gotta play? How you trying to sleep and you ain't make a buck today? Y'all niggas some rest, but y'all ain't make no cheese today. This playlist was presented by the exhibiting gallery Monique Maloche, who invited their artist Cheryl Pope to propose a project for the radio program. Titled Just Yell, Letter to the People, it was a collaborative project between Pope and Chicago high schoolers. Just Yell presents poetry and music as a form of self-defense. Through art, these teenagers worked with Pope to combat inner-city violence and through blurring the lines between their disciplines in poetry or rap, address the issues of race, inequality, and systems of power. This is a letter to America. I wish I could ask this in a nicer way, but just the time is called for drastic measures. So I ask you, why do you hate me? Why do you hate the brown of my skin and the black of my hair? Why do you hate the serve my native tongue and the clothes that you brought here? How dare you call my people invaders and aliens when you stole our country nearly 200 years ago? How dare you demonize the dark brothers and sisters that you brought here 400 years ago? and then criminalize them after they ask for justice. Gallery's first exhibition with Pope in 2013 arose out of this project, 
and it has taken on new forms and iterations at venues such as the Poetry Foundation in Chicago and here on Untitled Radio. Untitled Radio was often used as a vehicle for breaking down the temporal and market limitations of the exhibition system. In the words of Pope, the role of the artist is to make the invisible felt, to help a people understand their experience, to document this search and understanding, to challenge, question, and ask, to shed light in dark places, to listen. We'll now move on to Chapter 2, Dance Notations, which will look back at a conversation that took place live at the fair in Miami Beach in 2015. Choreographers Amanda Keeley and Madeline Hollander were commissioned to present site-specific works at Untitled Miami Beach. Keeley presented a work called Dance Constructions, working with Miami-area dancers, and Hollander presented an ambitious mile-long dance called Mile, enlisting dancers both from the New York and Miami areas. In their discussion, we learn about the choreographers' processes, motivations, and methodologies in relationship to the sites in which they present their work. Untitled is committed to preserving the integrity of these ideas, both in the realization of the time-based work and in the archiving and documenting the artist's processes and discourses. In that sense, Untitled Radio has been profoundly artist-centric, and we will continue to be with our podcast. Hi. Oh, let's uh, test the mics. Can you hear? Testing, testing. Madeline, are you on? Uh, am I on? I think I'm on. Okay, Alan, can I hear you? Am I here? Yeah. Great. So we'll introduce ourselves. This is Amanda Keeley. I'm from Exile Books, Miami. We're here at Winwood Radio at Untitled Fair Sunday. It's a about 2.30, and I'm really happy to be here with Alan and Madeline. Um, I'm Madeline Hollander. I'm here with one of my dancers, Alan, and Amanda, of course. And I think we're just going to talk about what's happening today with both of our performances. And you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Alan. I'm performing in Madeline's piece today. I'm also an attorney at a nonprofit organization called Cannonball. We provide legal services for artists in the area. Well, I thought we could start maybe, Madeline, with 
you could talk about the piece that you're doing here in Untitled sure. and kind of the origins of it, how you connect with Alan and kind of local dancers. You're also local. I'm based in New York. Oh, okay. I thought you would come down here, but you I have been doing a residency with the Fountainhead. Okay. So I've been here for five weeks, and I was auditioning local dancers. I met up with Alan, been rehearsing in City Ballet, at Cannonball, in parks, on the beach, everywhere. So I've Can been here Can you tell me that I couldn't remember the title of the piece? The piece is called Mile. It is a choreography that lasts exactly one mile. So the duration is always variable, but the distance traveled is always fixed. So originally, we were rehearsing around the exterior of the Untitled Art Fair tent, which is exactly one-third of a mile perimeter. And we do three laps around and finish. And we have eight dancers, so everyone begins at the exact same time. We're all doing the same choreography, and everyone finishes on their own rate. And we pretty much begin in sync with each other and then slowly fall out of phase due to exhaustion and kind of how everyone's feeling in that day. Do you have like a marked start and end for each piece? Yes, there's a spot that is measured out that is the one mile point exactly that we have mapped out with apps and with an actual physical string. The interior version, when it was raining, was actually (laughs) five laps because one lap around the inside of the tent is 0.2 miles. I've been working with dancers now for about five months, uh, specifically on the show for Fred Snitzer Gallery that opened in September. One thing I've been noticing, it's been a very much a learning experience, is that the dancer's face relays so much emotion. And if you can somehow pull out of that and obscure that and really look at the um, emotive qualities of the body, the shape it makes in space, the structures it creates, was something that I was really inherently interested in. And so by making a sculpture that's activated by the movement of the body that corresponds with a specific range of motion, you're really forced to look at how the body can become like an architectural piece within space. So that was an idea that I've been exploring a lot with working with choreographers and dancers. Um, But I started with XL Books um, a year ago at Locust Projects, and I invited Peter London and his group to come and do a site-specific dance in the gallery. It was the first time I'd ever done that, and I was thinking how fascinating it was to watch the audience almost become a participant. And I worked with Sarah Crowner, who had built a stage platform in the whole gallery. So when you walk in the Gallery of Locust Project, you step onto the stage. So the audience becomes the participant, the dancers become the audience. And they started to kind of blend together, and I thought this was a really interesting subject matter and kind of an interesting dialogue to explore is how we could maybe even exploit that. I started sitting in on Peter London's practices. When I started working on a show for Fred Snitzer, he really encouraged me to work with dance and work with choreography. And I've always been looking at a lot of like John Cage work and chance operations and notational scores. Peter was fully booked for the rest of the year. He's working on a show for Arsh. And so I was trying to identify another dancer who would really come in very collaboratively because I didn't feel like I could do this in an informed way. And so I met Marissa Almanick, who's fantastic, and she wholeheartedly came into my studio, and we worked all summer in my studio, and her coming in and testing pieces. And so we started physically testing what would work with the body, what wouldn't work, and we wanted them to be very functional. 
and for the sculptures to be activated by the dance, but them to become an extension of the body and the body to become an extension of the sculpture. So it was great to do it in a hands-on way and not just make an object and say, you dance with us, but you're actually like physically a part of it. And choreographing them together. Yeah, and doing it like very much hands-in-hand. And then the other thing that I was really inspired by was learning about Laban. I was just going to ask if you could talk a little more about that. And I didn't know anything about Laban, so I had bought a book on notational scores because I was thinking, how do dancers record their movements and how do they record gesture before the days of video? Like, how do you copyright a dance? And looking at John Cage, and then I started researching a lot of Judson Dance Theater and Simone Forte and Yvonne Rayner, Bill Paxton, Steve Paxton. Bill Paxton's an actor, I always say, but Steve Paxton. And really, Trisha Brown, Immerse Cunningham. There is a book called Choreographic Notational, it's called Notations, I think. I was really inspired by that, and I learned that Marissa also reads and learned, actually she hadn't done it since school, but I got her to go back, and for each, I made four sculptures, and for each of them, I asked her to give me the notations for the movement that she had designed for it. And she gave that to me, and then I ended up screen printing those too, so I was producing prints that were on the wall of Fred Snitzer, and then these, you know, the exhibition, the piece, the, the installation, and I produced a book, which I have here, called Dance Instructions. Great. But Laban Notation. Um, it's really interesting that you bring it, that up in the copyright context, because copyright actually doesn't exist until the thing is fixed in a tangible means of expression, and that's really interesting for yeah. dance, which of course can exist outside of fixation. So notation and, and lava notation is probably the most fully formed expression. And I'm not sure if this is correct, but is Laban notation the only way of copywriting a dance? No. So video is also a means of fixation for choreography, but in terms of notation styles, Laban notation is, is probably the most... In written language as well, Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, written description. But usually it requires a combination. So I know that a lot of dances, especially in the Balanchine Foundation, there's the Laban notation for the dance, a video, and a written description with notes. And it's that combination of the three, plus a ballet master, that is used every time you set a new ballet. And that's how you set the ballet, or is that how you copyright? Like, <laughs> I guess both. <laughs> so I guess the requirement under copyright law is only that the fixation be that you can recreate the movement from that. So in order to do it with the most integrity, I think that it makes sense that, for example, the Balanchine Trust uses all of these things so that you know the work is preserved as best as possible. But in order to register something with the Copyright Office, probably a video would suffice, or a lab annotation score, or a written description, or any combination. I mean, some dancers told me that Laban notation is also um, kind of outdated or obsolete. Ironically, the most difficult thing to read. It's beautiful to look at, and it's been very inspiring. when I was at Barnard, we did a recreation of Nijinsky's Afternoon of a Fawn based on the Laban notation score. (laughs) And I guess the way that they did that was he had his own notation system. Nijinsky? Nijinsky did. He had notated, I think it was fixed classes, that there was also a lot of notations for for those. So they kind of use that as a Rosetta Stone 
to figure out his notation and what decipher what what his notation was and then they used that Rosetta Stone to create a lot of notation score of Afternoon of Fawn which is now used to set the work um, it's another sort of two versions of Afternoon of Fawn one from the score and one from oral history and they're very different from and I looked at actual the Laban notation of ballets that I've performed and I can't find any relationship between the two there's no it's I mean, for me it's completely cryptic I find it to be so fascinating well the mortgage is paid off I will leave this miserable relationship well my kids are gone at chapter three, I'm a Bands Man. You're listening to a track called The Waiting Game by Robot, a collaboration between artists Takuchi Kojo and John Miller. I will leave this miserable relationship when my kids are gone. I will leave this miserable relationship In 2015, the Institute of Contemporary Art Miami, led by curator Alex Gartenfeld, mounted a retrospective exhibition by the American artist, writer, teacher, and musician, John Miller. On the occasion of the exhibition that year, we wanted to pay tribute to John's ongoing work with musicians and other artists, with whom he has collaborated with and participated in multiple bands with for four decades. Untitled Radio was, and is, the ideal social and media space to present this part of Miller's production, otherwise nearly impossible to present in a traditional museum format. A crucial part of our broadcast is to make accessible to a wider audience sound-based aspects of artists' productions that are less often acknowledged. We're pleased to showcase a few selections of John's music from 1983 to 2015, Introducing his work with bands including The Dirty Mirrors, with Ora Rosenberg, John Kessler, David Humphrey, and Dan Walworth, as well as Robot.
at my home and on the rural route. Told my pa that I'd be stepping out to lose some honky tonk blues. Lose some honky tonk blues. Don't wanna be bothered by the honky tonk blues. Well, I went to a dance and wore out my shoes. I woke up this morning wishing I could lose the worried honky tonk blues. The worried honky tonk blues. Yeah, Lord, I got them. I got the honky tonk blues. Got me down, I got the honky tonk blues. I got them honky tonk blues. Lord, I got them, I got the honky tonk Well, when I get home, my ma and pa, I know they're really gonna lay down the law about them honky tonk blues. About them honky tonk blues. I don't wanna be bothered by the honky tonk blues. I'm gonna tuck my worries underneath my arm, scat right back to my pappy farm and lose them honky tonk blues. Lose them honky tonk blues. Yeah, Lord, I got them. I got the honky tonk blues. We hope you're enjoying the first episode of Untitled Art Podcast. We're pausing our programming for a brief announcement. Mark your calendars. December is just around the corner. The seventh edition of Untitled Art Miami Beach opens on Wednesday, December 5th. Make sure to book your travel ahead of time with Turon Travel. Visit turontravel.com to view discounted rates on a variety of some of the best hotels in Miami Beach and plan to start your new year with Untitled San Francisco, opening January 18th, 2019. Visit the Bay Area and explore our new venue at the Palace of Fine Arts. We look forward to seeing you there. If you want a lover, me to and if you want another kind of love I'll wear a mask for you if you want a pub take my hand or if you want to strike me down in anger here I stand I'm your man and if you want a boxer Step into the ring for you And if you want a doctor I'll examine every inch of you If you want a driver Climb inside Or if you want to take me for a ride You know you can I'm your man Oh, the moon's too bright the room's too tight, I just can't get to sleep. I've been running through these promises to you that I made and couldn't keep. But a man never got a woman back, not by begging on his knees, or I'd crawl to you, babe. 
fall at your feet And I'd howl at your beauty like a dog in heat And I'd claw at your heart and I'd tear at your sheet And I'd say, please, please, I'm your man on to chapter four, Interior Architectures, and we'll dive right into a radio act commissioned for the first edition of Untitled San Francisco, which took place inside of the historic Pier 70 building. 
On the Stairwell's Radio Quarter Hour, Carrie Lynn gets a rare, exclusive, no holds barred interview with a real live staircase, straight from Pier 70 in San Francisco. Thanks for being here with us today. The pleasure is all mine. So, just want to start off by asking how long have you been here? I, I am part of the Noonan Building, as it is affectionately known. Uh, I'm here on Pier 70, and, and the building was was built in 1941. Um, but Pier 70, the foundations of my building, those were made in 1850. So the idea of me has been around for a long time. I would, I would claim that stairs on the pier has been around since the 19th century. But in my present existence as a staircase inside the Noonan building, I've been around since 1941. So it sounds like you've seen a lot of traffic over the years. Foot traffic. I'll elaborate on that. Um, I think that's what you were trying to ask me. Uh, So initially, I was built as a shipyard admin office. This was a shipyard. This was the admin office. And so there were a lot of people going up and down the stairs. So people would come down fast uh, to get to lunch and then walk a lot slower on the way back up. I I noticed that, you know, they're full, but they also don't really want to go back to work slower on the way up. You know, since then, there was uh, Fred Noonan Co., that's why the building is named after him, and um, and now it's full of artists, art studios. So I have really interesting foot traffic now. I mean, just all kinds of people at all times of day and night often carrying very heavy things. A lot of of dropped things, I gotta say. But yeah, nothing quite like my early days, but uh, I like it a little bit more now. It's a little more relaxed. So you mentioned that the artists drop things a lot, so they're really clumsy, it sounds like. What What kinds of artists are they? I would say that the painters are the clumsiest ones. Often they have buckets of paint, weird, unidentifiable, you know, oily stuff. There's this horrible drip path that goes up me now. Someone just dripped this oily substance all the way up my staircase. You know, in the 80s and 90s, there was, uh, I think there were some people living in the building and there were a lot more parties and there was a glitter explosion at one point and glitter and the oil, they're here forever. Do you ever think about the future? I'm a staircase, so... You know, I try to exist in the present. I don't really know what's going to happen to me in the future. I'm a wooden staircase. I'm pretty vulnerable. Um, I know that the building is undergoing some changes. You know, there's lots of grumbling. You're you're not sure what's going to happen, but you're not afraid of it. I, I don't understand fear. It's entirely human emotion. Have you ever heard of climacophobia? Clima, clima what? You know, it's the fear of climbing or descending stairs. It's it's when people are afraid of you. That's just horribly depressing. I mean, I exist to facilitate movement. And the fact that people would be afraid to use me for my purpose is... Wow, I'm, this is a, it's really depressing, actually. You know, I know about other methods of getting up and down multiple level buildings but you mean like elevators or escalators yeah i've heard of those things yeah 
What do you What do you think about them? You know, I I am the purest form of of what I do, right? Um, but I understand. You know, if there's a lot of stairs, maybe the escalator is a good option. The moving staircase. I, I kind of admire the escalator because you know it's kind of it's amazing. It functions as I do, even when it's broken. We have some very interested listeners here who are uh, really curious about what your favorite kind of shoe is. I love this question. So uh, if you want to walk on me, I would recommend wearing flip-flops because not only is it easy on me, you will experience more of my texture. And I'm, I'm pretty well worn. I've got some interesting creaks and bumps, nothing that will hurt you. Just, uh, you know, you can really feel the stairs if you wear flip-flops. Has anyone ever worn tap shoes? Not yet. All right, here's to the future and to tap shoes. This piece always cracks me up. The piece was conceived and recorded by Stairwells, a collaborative project founded in 2011 by artists Sarah Hodgkiss and Carrie Lynn. Stairwells creates interactive art experiences that challenge familiar understandings of place in our everyday surroundings. For this particular broadcast, they've anthropomorphized an edifice, Pier 70, located in the dog patch. Since the first year of the fair, Untitled has moved north to another historic building, the Palace of Fine Arts. Perhaps in 2019 we can secure another interview with that poignant building. Looking back, however, on our first year in San Francisco, we'll move on to Chapter 5, The Aha Moment. During this memorable inaugural edition of the fair, we were so pleased to invite the director and chief curator of the Wattis Institute, Anthony Huberman, to lead a panel on the rewards and challenges of working with contemporary artists on new commissions. Anthony invited SF MoMA chief curator Gary Gerrels and Apsara DiCinzio, curator of contemporary art at the Berkeley Art Museum and Pacific Film Archives, also known as BAMFA. During their conversation, Apsara peels back the curtain and divulges to the audience a little bit about what happens between a curator and an artist in the studio. What follows is a behind-the-scenes look at the moment where a curator and an artist can meet halfway. I, I wonder if you could talk a bit more about, because both of you have done exhibitions of a variety of types, commissioning being one of them, and to say a bit more about what your, the kind of artist-curator relationship in the context of commissioning new work versus like the nature of the conversation that you have with it. Where do you see your role? How does that conversation build and develop versus if you're doing a survey show, or I'm just curious about that, if there's anything that you can point to that you feel that your role somehow becomes other. Well, let's see. The first thing that came to mind in response to that question was, I don't have an image of it, but um, I did a group show called Six Lines of Flight at SF MoMA, and most of the work that was included in that show was already existing. I felt as I was doing studio visits and the exhibition was progressing that there really needed to be something to link all these disparate cities. This was a show about six different cities around the world from different continents that was exploring burgeoning artistic situations and environments. 
through the initiative of artists who are organizing their own institutions and organizations that were catalytic for those cities. So very different cities like Cluj, Napoca in Romania and Saigon, Vietnam and Cali, Colombia. So like, how do you bring all these places together? One solution I had for that was to commission an artist, Tiffany Chung, who lives in Saigon and was involved with a project space called San Art. She makes these beautiful geographical maps and was to commission her to make a map of each of those six cities that was exploring various different aspects of those places and locations. I had that idea when we were in the studio visit, like it just comes to you. Sometimes you just gotta roll with it on the spot, hoping that it works out later. <laughs> but in the end, I felt like that was a really critical part of that exhibition, and it helped to bring things together a little bit. And now SFMOMA owns several of those maps too. We've arrived at our final chapter, Composer's Manifesto. In 2016, we invited a group of Scandinavian feminist composers, collectively known as Kunstmusik Sistrar, to share their work on Untitled Radio, live from Miami Beach. Kunstmusik Sistrar translates roughly to contemporary sisters. Their manifesto explains that they are a network of composers and sound artists in classical music who identify themselves as women or transgendered people. Their collective serves as a safe environment where members can meet without preconditions, share experiences, create music, and alter the existing structures within the art scene. In the spirit of collaboration, near and far, we re-air some of this collective's compositional work. Every year that we present Untitled, it's comprised of hundreds of collaborations. 
We hope to continue to support, present, promote, and archive collaborations across diverse fields in the visual, musical, and performing arts. Countless contributors were involved in the programs we heard today, and I'd like to give a special thanks to Justin Asher and Mnemonic Recordings for producing this episode. Special thanks to Adrian Olivares and Vicente Solis at Winwood Radio in Miami, Aaron Harbour and Catherine from KGPC in San Francisco, Kea Duarte, our programming manager, as well as contributors from today's episode, including Madeline Hollander, Amanda Keeley, Alan Gins, Cheryl Pope and her collaborators at Chicago Area High Schools, John Miller, Alex Gartenfeld at ICA Miami, Sarah Hodgkiss and Carrie Lynn, Anthony Huberman, Absara DeKinzio, Madison Johnson Guilla, and the rest of the Contemporary Sisters. The music you heard at the beginning and end of this episode are original tracks by Celia Hollander from the score for Madeline Hollander's performance Mile, Untitled 2015. And finally, to my team at Untitled Art Fairs for joining in my belief that by tuning out, you can tune in. There's a lot of exciting things going on this month, and I'd like to point out a few exhibitions opening at our partner institutions, including a solo exhibition with Aaron Curry opening at the Bass in Miami Beach, and a retrospective exhibition looking at Surrounded Island, Biscan Bay, by Christo and Jean-Claude, opening at the Perez Art Museum in Miami. On the West Coast, in Berkeley, we'll see the opening of a Harvey Quaitman retrospective at Bamfa, the Center for Emotional Materiality, opening at the nonprofit space Southern Exposure, and don't miss the Bay Area Now Triennial, which recently opened at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. And if that's not enough excitement for you, we'll soon be launching our itinerant film and video program, Untitled Cinema, in the Bay Area, Untitled Cinema is dedicated to presenting curated video and film programs across the Bay Area during an ongoing series taking place this fall at venues including Creative Growth Center for the Arts, BAMFA, the Wattis Institute, Minnesota Street Project, and more. Visit untitledartfairs.com cinema for more information. And that's a wrap for the inaugural Untitled Art Podcast. Tune in for our next episode, which will explore noise and the medium of sound in contemporary art, again by digging through the archives of Untitled Radio. Signing off, I'm your host, Amanda Schmidt. Keep on listening, and I hope you'll join us again on Untitled Art Podcast. Thank you.